Thanks for joining us today. We'd love to hear how God is using this ministry in your life. So we encourage you to share your story with us at info at fellowshipgj.com or by clicking the Share Your Story tab on the Church Center app. Also, if God is using this ministry to impact you, we want to encourage you to partner with us financially. You can do that by clicking on the giving link located in the description below this video, online at fellowshipgj.com, or if you are a member here at Fellowship Church, you can give through our Church Center app. This will help us continue to bring the message of Christ to our community and beyond. Again, thank you for joining us and enjoy today's service. If you walked in sin, you're gonna walk out here. If you walked in doubt, you're gonna walk out free. It's just a mention of his name. Just a mention of his name. Just a mention of his name. Everything can change. Everything can change. If you walked in heaven.
God of revival is in this room right now. He's in this room right now. If you're tuning in online, He's with you right now. And if we could take it one step further, Scripture says that if we're born again and we, we trust Jesus as our Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit resides inside of us. So not only is the God of revival in the room, but He's in you as well. He's in you. There's a pattern that you can see in Scripture when, when people caught their breakthrough, when they caught that healing, when they caught that thing, there was something that happened individually in their own heart first. Like revival starts with one. And just the lyrics that we just sang of every stronghold will crumble. Every chain will hit the ground. What if in each heart individually, every stronghold comes down? Every chain hits the ground. And collectively, the God of revival is seen in such a greater way, personally. See, it starts with us individually. There's a scripture in Ezekiel when God gave this, this guy named Ezekiel in the Old Testament, like all these prophecies. And before he was allowed to share anything with the people of Israel, God said, let all of these words sink deep into your own heart first. So Holy Spirit, God of revival, we open up our own hearts first to you. We give you access, Holy Spirit, to the dark in us, to the pain, to the joy, to the hope, to the hopeless parts. We want your light in there. Holy Spirit, God of revival, open our eyes to see what you want us to see, our hearts to hear what you want us to hear. We give you access so that we, we may experience the God of revival in our own heart first, and then let it be seen in our city and our community. God, you're here. We invite you in. Give us eyes to see, ears to hear. Let us be influenced by you. Prepare our hearts for what you have for us today. In your heavenly name, God, amen. He's here. He is here with us. That's good. Well, if you're in person with us today, go ahead and say hello to somebody. Find your way to your seats. If you are online with us, thank you so much for tuning in. We'd love to hear a little bit more from you, a little bit more of your story even. So engage with us in the chat stream. We'd love to see how this message is affecting you and what's going on in your life too. So whether you're on YouTube, you're on Facebook or on our website, we'd love to hear from you. And if you are on our website or you just want some prayer, you wanna be able to, to connect with someone, click the live prayer button on our website or the need prayer button on our church center app. We'd love to be able to connect with you and hear your story in that way. And whether you're online or you're in person with us and maybe you're new, you're visiting, you're checking it out for the first time, on behalf of all of us, we just want to say welcome. Thank you so much for hanging out with us this Sunday morning. If you want to connect more or just hear a little bit more from the staff or 
uh, different opportunities here. Get your smartphones out and just text the word fellowship to the number 94,000. As soon as you do that, you get in contact with us, get an invitation to the guest reception. And we'd love to be able to hear your story as well. You matter. If you're here in person with us and you're a guest or visitor, stop by the info center. We'd love to give you a guest bag as well as a free specialty drink from, uh, or you, for you and all of your visiting party from our coffee shop as well. Thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We're going to continue the worship of our great God through the giving of tithes and offerings. There's a lot of different ways that we can give here at Fellowship. We have the offering boxes obviously outside in the lobby. We also have our church center app. The easiest way you can scan the code or jump on there and give that way or drop by during the week. We'd love to hear from you, pray with you, uh, see you. You can always drop in the offices as well. As I was thinking about just this idea of being generous and, and giving. I was reminded of a story from, I was a Boy Scout growing up. I never finished it all the way through though. Uh, and I, I really enjoyed camping. And one time my dad and I, we were gonna join the rest of our uh, group up at this really awesome lake. But my dad had to work, so we left at like, we got on trail at like 6.30. And though it was the summer, there's no way we're making it before the sun goes down. And we had, you know, just these little maglite flashlights with junk drawer batteries in them, you know, like we just like threw it together at the last second. And so our, like, they're already dim. And by the time eight, nine o'clock rolls around, we don't have any flashlights at all. So we're just like, maybe we should just find a place to camp because we're not gonna make it to the lake. It's a really pretty lake. So we decided to, we saw kind of a clearing in the, the moonlight, like let's just set a camp up there. And we, we go to walk into it and it's just a swamp. It's not, not a, I was like, oh, look, a pristine meadow. No, a swamp, like marsh. And it was just not pleasant. It was not, it wasn't anything that we could actually set up camp in. It wasn't a good place to be able to stay. So we packed everything back up. We ended up finding our group just blowing whistles in the dark and they heard us and they, they rescued us. Um, but the lake itself was great. It was really awesome. I, I think that a lot of our Christian walk can, can resemble either a lake or swamp. In a lot of ways, see a lake has a healthy inlet and a healthy outlet, being able to um, receive but also give back and give out. Where a swamp just doesn't have a clear inlet, clear outlet. A lot of times, it's not a place you want to stay in. Well, when it talks, when we talk about generosity and Jesus building uh, generosity in our hearts, because that's His heart posture. I was, I was thinking through Scripture, and I honestly couldn't think of very many times that Jesus only just wanted to receive. He He freely gave so often. So often, and I think that's just a part of our Christian walk is to just do things like Jesus and be like him. And so when we're thinking through this season, especially as the holidays are approaching, there's a lot of opportunity to be generous. Uh, the Bible talks about giving, obviously, 10% of our, our finances. But I would say let's, let's think even more than that as far as what giving could look like. Maybe you're not in a place or you're ready to, to give 10% yet. But what can you give? How can you become much more like a, a healthy lake where you have an outlet and you're giving to others. Maybe it's your time. Maybe it's a neighbor that's in need. Maybe it's just cooking a meal for a family or giving through tithes and offerings. What I know is that if we posture our hearts like Jesus, the most generous human to ever live, then we in turn, and we don't do it for the blessing, but he takes care of us because of that. So if you're in financial need, I'd love to be able to pray for you. I'd love to be able to pray over all of our tithes and offerings today as well. Jesus, thank you so much for just giving us hearts like your own. And so, Father, I pray for every, every single heart here. If there's a family that's in need financially, I pray you just pour out your blessings on them, God. But build in us a spirit in, 
of just generosity, a heart for others, God, in this season. And Jesus, we love you. We wanna be more like you. And so, Father, I just ask you to show us your love so that we can show other people that love in turn. God, we love you and we thank you in your heavenly name. Amen. As the holidays approach, we do have a, a one quick opportunity I want to highlight real fast. We're doing an online Bible study again. It might be a good way for you to just be able to jump into Scripture a little bit easier. Um, we're just doing it over Zoom. It's going to start on November 15th. There's going to be more details to follow. But you can find that on the Church Center app. It is uh, no, no cost to be able to join. And even if you don't have a Bible, come talk to me. I'll give you one. Uh, it, it's, there's really low friction to be able to sign up for that. So save the date for that, November 15th. There's a lot of other things happening here at Fellowship Church. Here are a few of them. There is a place for you here at Fellowship Church. Whether you are new or you've been attending for a while, we encourage you to take that next step of faith in your walk with Christ. Our mission here is to connect the unconnected to Jesus Christ and together grow in full devotion to Him. So maybe for you, the next step is to jump into a life group. Or maybe you know God is calling you to serve and you want to give back and you want to come hold babies or you want to hang out with teenagers or serve coffee or operate a camera. There are so many ways to serve and it's as simple as jumping on the Church Center app and click on Find a Life Group or on Serving Opportunities or visit the Next Step counter. Speaking of next steps, as we have recently come out of our community series, if you would be willing to host a group in your local area, we need you. And it is really that simple, just host. I think the enemy can twist this and make us feel intimidated, but don't let him fool you. Anyone can host a group of people. There is something so special about having people in your vicinity, your local area, to make your community that much more convenient and richer and deeper. And it can be as short as a six to eight week commitment to just try it out. So even if it's just a thought, I encourage you, take a leap and do it. It's so worth it. We have a new series starting next week called Blind Spots. Now, I don't know about you, but I kind of cringe when I hear this word. However, we all have things that we don't see that are causing hardships on us and in our relationship. Pastor Tim is going to help us expose those blind spots and help us get healing from hardships in the past. Please invite everyone you can to this incredibly important and crucial series. As always, if you wanna stay updated, please visit fellowshipgj.com events. Today is our last week of our series of Sunday Morning Revival. Please enjoy today's service. Take me back to the place that feels like home, to the people I can depend on, to the faith that's in my bones. Take me back to a preacher and a verse, where they've seen me at my worst, to the love I had at first. Oh, I want to go. I grew up in a home, I had an older brother, two older sisters, and they were much older than me. My, my closest sibling is eight years older than I, and then my brother's 11 years older than I am. And truthfully, I just want to thank them, because by the time my parents got to me, they were wore out. They were just, and so discipline on me was just very light. They didn't have a lot of rules for me. And now, now one thing was what, you know, I went to church at a very young age. And, and so I was brought up with my great parents, great grandparents. They were just all very good. And so they, they instilled a lot of good stuff in me. And so my parents just really didn't have to put a bunch of rules on me. In fact, I remember I, I didn't have a curfew, never had a curfew. 
I mean, all my friends had curfews. If I went on a date with somebody, you know, they'd always say, you got to get me home by such and such time. I'm like, all right. And then I'd bring them home and then I'd just go home. And so I just, I just never really uh, um, abused that. And my, my, my mom always said this. My mom said, I will trust you until you give me a reason not to trust you. And so uh, I did fear her. And so I, didn't, uh, I, I just didn't really press them. And it was interesting because I didn't really rebel until I went to college. Because I didn't have rules or rules like these that I had later in life. In high school, I went to college and I went to a Baptist college. So then all of these rules came upon me. And some of the rules were probably really good. Some of the rules I thought were stupid. And so I, I kind of rebelled against those rules. Like one of the things is we had a curfew. So I went from high school not having a curfew and, and, and going to college thinking I'm going to have more freedom and more liberty. And I didn't. And in fact, we had an 11 o'clock curfew during the week and a midnight curfew on the weekends. And I, I didn't like that. My brother lived up the road in uh, Springfield, Missouri, not very far from where I was going to school. And on the weekends, I sometimes would go and I would stay with him. But I had to get it approved by the RA. Did you ever have an RA? You know, those guys. You know, Pastor Jail and, and Sarah, they were both RAs. I just call them narcs. That's what I call them. And so I had this particular RA, and he just loved to bust us. He just, I think he made commissions on the fines when he would bust us for different things. And, you know, we had to have our rooms a certain way. And, of course, we needed to keep things clean. I get that. But, like, we couldn't move our beds and just little things, just silly things that, that after a while, I just started wearing on me. I just got to where I was sick of it. I got tired of it, and I rebelled against it. And I told myself, you know what, if they're going to try to stick it to me, I'm going to stick it to them. And so we thought, well, as a group of people, I got a little coup of guys with me. And we said, what can we do to get back at these, at these RAs and these, these, this administration? And so we thought, well, let's just start pranking them. Let's just start messing with them. And so one of the things that you could not do on a Baptist campus is a boy could never be in a girl's dorm. Or a girl could never be on a boy's dorm. Now, that's probably for good reason, especially if you knew me when I was a kid. But I didn't like that. I thought that was stupid. And so we thought, you know what, we could, how could we mess with them on this? So what we did is we, a bunch of, a bunch of my friends, w went to our girlfriends, friends in the campus that were our friends, and uh, we borrowed some of their dresses. And then we went, uh, we went to a, like a, a secondhand store and we bought some wigs. And we waited until lights out because after 11 o'clock, they turned the hall lights out in the hallways and you had to be quiet. And if you were loud at all or you played music too loud, you would get written up for it. So we waited for the lights to go out and we uh, decided we were gonna start running through the hallways and banging on all the doors. And then we had those air horns, like, those, you know, and we just ran through the halls and we were, we were running our air horns. And, and this guy thought, I'm gonna get RA of the month. I'm gonna bust these girls in a guy's dorm. And he came out and he could see us at the end of the hallway, but he could only see, see our silhouette. So all he saw was dresses and hair. And we tried our best at being girls. We were like trying to giggle, like <laughs> and making our hair kind of flap. And, and we just, we ran from it and we were faster than him. We are way faster than him. And so what we did is we ran him all around the dorm uh, and, and then went back, circled back to his bedroom and went and, and laid on his bed and on his couch and just waited for him to, to come back. And so when he returned after writing all of his reports, he opened the door to a bunch of sweaty guys and wigs. And so it, it totally blew, blew what he had hoped to, uh, for as far as busting us. And, then, and, and so that was really funny. We thought that, that's, don't you think that's funny? That's funny. I thought that was funny. 
it's funny. Probably couldn't get away with it now, but just, you know, it was, it was funny. So, uh, uh, but the other thing we did, and this is what we, what, what this is classic, okay? So what we did is he had a dorm that had a, uh, it was a suite, and his dorm room was connected to a bathroom, which was connected to his roommate's room. And so what we did is we waited for him to go to class, and we snuck in through his roommate's room, through the bathroom, and we just just demolished his room. I mean, we, we tied all of his socks and underwear and tight knots and we got his telephone and we put packaging tape around it with, with lotion and Vaseline to where it was ringing and he couldn't pick it up and just a lot of little stupid things. And, and, I, don't, and I don't brag about those things, but, but I brag about this one thing because this was so classic. So what we did is he had this, you know, dorm door that was, of course, at the, at the hallway and we took the pins out of his hinges and then we tied a rope to the inside of his door handle. And on the other end of the rope, we had cinder blocks and probably six or seven cinder blocks and then chairs. And we put those out the window, okay? And, and the door was here, the window was here. So it was just this direct line. So we had this tight rope that was tied to the door handle, went out the window to all of this weight. And uh, we could not wait until he came home. And, and the whole floor knew about it, of course. And so they were all waiting, just, just anticipating for him to come back. And he, he, comes, uh, he comes in, he has all of his books and his stuff in his hand and his backpack. And he, he has his keys and he gets his keys over to the door handle. And man, all it took was that click, just that click. And as soon as he clicked that lock, that door took off across the room, just slammed up against the window and he's just sitting there holding his books with his, with, his, with his key. It was awesome. It was so classic. And he knew right away who did it. No, no, no question. So he came, of course, we got written up for it. But the, the, the thing is, is that we were rebelling against something that was, that was silly. Like we shouldn't have been rebelling against those things. And I think we could all look at our life and go, there were seasons of our life where we rebelled. We did dumb things. And, you know, if that was the worst thing I ever did in my life that was a rebellion, I would be doing good. But there's other seasons I rebelled worse than that. But Scripture says that rebellion is as witchcraft. It doesn't say rebellion is like witchcraft. It doesn't say oh, rebellion kind of looks like witchcraft. It says rebellion is as witchcraft. It is something that is dangerous. It is something that is deadly. It is something that the Lord warns about very, very specifically because he knows how dangerous it is. An archangel by the name of Lucifer turned into Satan over rebellion. He rebelled against God. And so that's why God warns against it so, so, uh, so, so blatantly. He's like, don't go down this road. Don't rebel against me. Do the things I ask you to do. Follow the word of God. Don't go out on your own and make stupid decisions. Don't come out from underneath God's cover and his protection. Don't do it. Yet there's several times in our life that we do do it. And some of us do that very young at life. Some of us do it throughout life. I mean, you may know somebody right now that's 60, 70, 80 years old, and they're still living in a life of rebellion. Well, the person we're going to look at in Scripture today was a king. He was known as the worst, most evil, most just disgusting king in Judah's history. And his name was Manasseh. Now, Manasseh came 234 years after Solomon. So you, if you'll remember in Israel's history, there was this period of time called the United Monarchy. That was three different kings where all 12 tribes followed them and the country was united. 
It started with Saul, then it went to David, then it went to Solomon. But after Solomon, the king, after Solomon, the kingdom split. The northern kingdom of Israel was 11 tribes, uh, and they split uh, and became their own country. And then Judah was one tribe, and they became their own country, and they were the southern kingdom, and they were the ones that actually inhabited Judah. Well, Manasseh was known as, or was named after his name means, one who causes to forget. And that's exactly what Manasseh did to Judah. He caused this country to forget about the fact that God was the one true God, that he had delivered and provided for Israel throughout history. And we pick up his story in 2 Chronicles chapter 33. The Bible says Manasseh was 12 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 55 years. Now, could you imagine electing a 12-year-old as president of the United States? A 12-year-old, an adolescent has been given the reins of an entire country. He did what was evil in the Lord's sight, verse 2 says, following the detestable practices of the pagan nations that the Lord had driven from the land ahead of the Israelites. He rebuilt pagan shrines. His father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the image of Baal and set up Asherah poles. Now, Baal, of course, was a god, a little g-god that was worshipped during that time. It was prevalent throughout the land. And so these people would get uh, their statues of Baal, which was usually a bull, and they would put it in their homes and they would Worship, worship it. An Asherah pole was a pole that was put up. They would put up on their property that was a, a worship of a little G God. I call them little G gods because you only capitalize the one true God. So they were these little G gods that they would worship. And the Bible says he rebuilt the pagan shrines his father Hezekiah had broken down. He constructed altars for the images of Baal and set up Asherah poles. He also bowed before all the powers of the heavens and worshiped them. Now what this means is that he was big time into astrology. So he worshiped the stars. He worshiped the star. And understand this, guys. We need to stay far away from astrology. You need to stay far away from all of that stuff. That is, that is a form of witchcraft. And the Lord warned against it. Now, we talked about Manasseh's father. Uh, and back in 2021, we did a message on Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was a great king. So his, his dad was awesome. Manasseh was awful. And Hezekiah was the kind of man that he loved God. And he loved to lead Judah the way that they should have been led. And he led them the way the Lord wanted. He followed scripture. And all the religious reform that Hezekiah had brought about, Manasseh was reversing. Now, this is a great example of the fact that as a person, as a parent, you can love the Lord and be a great example to your kids. And you can train them up and you can, you can make sure that they go to church and you instill good things in them, and they can still go off the deep end. I mean, we've seen that in our own families, right? You, you'll have one sibling, and they're great. They, they're, just, they're just, they're compliant, and they really, really want to follow God's will for their life. And then you get another sibling that grew up in the same house, and they just go crazy. They make poor choices. They just go off the deep end. And here's the truth, guys. If you are a parent, if you're a parent of what the Bible calls those people as prodigals, maybe you were a prodigal. I a lot of times we all go through life in a certain season in our life, we become a prodigal. But if you're a parent of a prodigal, you gotta know that's not your fault. It's not your fault. In fact, we're gonna be doing a series next year uh, for parents of prodigals. 
for parents that have kids that have, have just run astray and, and gone down the raw, uh, wrong road, Dr. Doug Weiss right, wrote this curriculum, and it's incredible. And one of the things that he said, and it's so freeing, he says this in that curriculum. He says, cause and effect can always be trumped by a person's free will. So that means that you can train your child. You can pour into them. You can show them the best example, but they still have free will. They can still decide to do whatever they want. They can still decide to follow their own whims. And this is what Manasseh does. He doesn't look at what Hezekiah did at all. He doesn't follow his father's footsteps. He goes the other direction. And we pick up in verse 4. He built pagan altars in the temple of the Lord, the place where the Lord had said, My name will remain in Jerusalem forever. He built these altars for all the powers of the heavens in both courtyards of the Lord's temple. Manasseh also sacrificed, listen to this, sacrificed his own sons in the fire in the valley of Ben-Hinnom. He practiced sorcery, divination, and witchcraft, and he consulted with mediums and psychics. He did much that was evil in the Lord's sight, arousing God's anger. Manasseh practiced sacrificing not only kids, but his own kids. Every detestable religion that you could ever imagine, Manasseh was into. He used sorcerers. He used palm readers. He used psychics. And let me tell you again, because I just warned, I want to warn us as a church family, stay away from that stuff. Stay away from people that say that they can predict your future and those kind of things. All of that stuff comes from the evil one, and it's, it's really there to end up to, to try to steal, kill, and destroy you. Manasseh practices sacrificing his own kids to a Canaanite god, some little god that, that Israel had defeated when they came into the area and had stuck around, and before you know it, now they're worshiping. Now, 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 16 goes a little bit more into Manasseh's depravity. Manasseh also murdered many innocent people until Jerusalem was filled from one end to the other, uh, 2 Kings says, with innocent blood. This was in addition to the sin that he caused the people to, of Judah to commit, leading them to evil in the Lord's sight. Then we pick up back with verse 7 in our scripture today. Manasseh even took a carved idol he had made and set it up in God's temple. The very place where God had told David and his son Solomon, my name will be honored forever in this temple and in Jerusalem, the city I have chosen from among all the tribes of Israel. If the Israelites will be careful to obey my commands, all the laws, decrees, and regulations given through Moses, I will not send them into exile from the land that I set aside for your ancestors. So God says, this temple is mine. Don't worship anything else in it. Don't worship any other God before me. If you do what I ask you to do, you'll always be protected. If you don't, you're going to be taken into exile. Manasseh not only worships all of these other false gods, but he brings them into God's temple, that very precious place. They worship false gods in God's house. That would be like us doing all of the things that the Lord has done through us here at Fellowship Church and then deciding, you know what, we're going to pick up and move and a group of Satanists come in and they take over this worship center and they start worshiping Satan where we've been worshiping God. That's just a small degree to what was happening uh, in Jerusalem. But Manasseh, verse 9, led the people of Judah and Jerusalem to do even more evil than the pagan nations that the Lord had destroyed when the people of Israel entered the land. 
And later, Jeremiah is speaking as he writes in his book, chapter 15, verse 4. Because of the wicked things Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, did in Jerusalem, I will make my people an object of horror to all the kingdoms of the earth. The sin of Manasseh and Judah continued to haunt the people for 50 years after Manasseh. The Lord spoke, verse 10, to Manasseh and his people, but they ignored all his warnings. So the Lord sent the commanders of the Assyrian armies and they took Manasseh prisoner. They put a ring through his nose, bound him in bronze chains, and led him away to Babylon. The Assyrians, understand, were now the world power in the region. And at that time, God uses them to judge Manasseh. They put, literally put a ring through his nose, tied a rope to it, and paraded him around for everyone to see. Now, if your kid ever comes home and he wants to put in a nose ring, okay, just tell him you can do that, but then I get to tie a rope to it and I get to lead you around. And that should squash that little rebellious act, right? I'm not against nose rings and piercings, please. I'm just playing. But the truth is, is that this was something that humbled a prideful king. Verse 12 says, But while in deep distress, Manasseh sought the Lord his God and sincerely humbled himself before the God of his ancestors. And when he prayed, listen to this. Manasseh had done all of this horrible stuff. He'd messed up big time. He'd done awful things. The worst king in Israel or Judah's history. And the scripture says, The Lord listened to him and was moved by his request. So the Lord brought Manasseh back to Jerusalem and to his kingdom. Then Manasseh finally realized that the Lord alone is God. You know, it's amazing how good humility works against pride. God knew the only way to turn the king and the kingdom back to him was to humble its leader. When I was studying for this particular message, I found this quote about this story, and it's so true. The quote says, God sent him to the dungeon to repent as he did Jonah into the whale's belly to pray. Adversity has whipped many a soul to heaven, which otherwise prosperity had coached to hell. Manasseh was rich. He was the king. He was spoiled, he was entitled, and he felt like he was above the law and could do whatever he liked. And it led him down the wrong road. The truth is, as hard as humbling can be in our lives, we need to thank God for it. We can probably look back over our life and the biggest turnarounds we've ever had have come as a result of a humbling experience. And being humbled, it's, it stinks, right? It, it's no fun. It hurts, but left unchecked, a life left unchecked is a life that is out of control. Verse 14, after this, Manasseh rebuilt the outer wall of the city of David. And then as you go down a few uh, a sentence, it says he built the wall very high and he stationed his military officers in all, the, in all of the forfeited towns of Judah. Manasseh also removed the foreign gods and the idols from the Lord's temple. He tore down all the altars he had built on the hill where the temple stood and all the altars uh, that were in Jerusalem. And he dumped them outside the city. Then he restored the altar of the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings and thanksgiving offerings on it. He also encouraged the people of Judah to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. Manasseh wanted to repair the damage that he had done. He wanted to make things right and make it up to God. Have you ever messed up so bad that you did the same thing? 
right? You, you just blew it. And, and I mean, you blew it big time. And when you do that, it's like you might say you're sorry. You might ask for forgiveness. But then you want to make it up to God somehow. It's like you just want to go, God, what can I do to, to make this situation better? What can I do to right this situation, to, to, to make things right? Well, that's what Manasseh's doing. He's trying to go in and he's trying to take down everything that he did that caused all the problems. And he's trying to restore what God would wanted in the first place. And in verse 17, the scripture says that, however, the people still sacrificed at the pagan shrines, though only to the Lord their God. So these people had also become spoiled. You see that you're only supposed to bring sacrifices anywhere but to the temple. And so these people got very, very accustomed to worshiping their gods at home. It's a lot easier to do that. So they said, well, you know, I'll, 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 uh, I'll, I'll take down my, my shrines and stuff like that. But, and I'll worship only God, but I'm going to worship him here. I'm going to do my sacrifices here. So because of Manasseh's horrible leadership through the years, he only had the influence to do so much. The people didn't totally obey. They worshiped God, but they worshiped him their way. So what do we learn from this? You don't hear a lot of messages on Manasseh because <laughs> he was a mess. But what can we learn from this? Well, first of all, God still loved Judah through all of this. Through everything that happened, through all the disobedience, through all the betrayal, through all the, the cheating on God that was happening, God still loved Judah. Even though Judah was cheating on God, God stayed true to his commitment to them. There were going to be ramifications, of course, of, 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 from the things that they had done, but God still loved them. And God still loves America. He still loves our country. Even though there are times where we look more like Sodom every day, God still loves our country. He loves that we were founded on him and that our forefathers were devoted to him and our constitution was written based on biblical morality. He loves that there's still a righteous remnant. That's us, guys. Christians that are out there that are a righteous remnant, that are still fighting for him, that are still doing our best to obey, that are still trying to live the way that he would want us to live. And it's not too late for us. It's not too late for the United States. Throughout scripture, we see God's people coming back to him. And as a result, they are blessed and their country is blessed. And when we speak about revival in the church, we understand that when we speak about it in the church, that is the church, that is the American church. And we need a revival throughout this country. We need God to be worshiped again the way God wants to be worshiped. We need the message to be brought out. And here's the thing, the only way that can happen is by the Holy Spirit changing people's hearts. It's the only way it's gonna happen. Prayer and lifting God up and saying, I'm gonna stand for God, but also, Lord, bring a revival. Bring people back that have run from you. Bring prodigals back that have made poor choices. Do whatever you need to do, Lord, but bring about a revival in this country. But it all comes back to us being devoted and obedient to him. That's what that scripture kept repeating. It's like, if you, if you obey me, if you love me, I'll make sure you're blessed. I'll make sure you're never taken into exile. And that's why we speak about revival and the importance of us returning to God is because it's so important. It's so important to turn back to him. And as bad as Manasseh was, Manasseh turned to God and God loved him. The other thing that we see is that point that God still loved Manasseh. So he loved Judah, but he also loved Manasseh. God didn't love what Manasseh was doing, but he didn't give up on him. 
God is so good at separating the sin from the sinner, and we need to do the same. It's so easy for us to see what's going on in the world today and watch TV and get really hateful against certain organizations or getting really mad at, at either the left or the right, depending on where you're standing. But the truth is, is that what we need to do is what God does, is we separate the sin from the sinner. We hate the sin, we love the sinner. We love the person. And as bad as Manasseh was, God still loved him. Now, Manasseh is to the Old Testament as Saul of Tarsus was to the New. They both experienced massive conversions at the peak of their depravity. We have to remember that God looks at someone's potential. As bad as Manasseh was, God said, I know there's something good in you. Man, it doesn't get worse than Manasseh. And Saul... Like, Saul was awful. But God said, I, have, I see something good in you. I, I see that you can do a comeback. You can do a turnaround. Guess what? You're going to author the majority of the New Testament. I see your potential. Which leads to the third point, And that's that God still loves you. God still loves you. It doesn't matter what you've done or where you have been. God loves you. Now, there's no revival without repentance. And if we've messed up, we need to say we're sorry and ask for forgiveness. Manasseh and Saul had to turn around until they, they didn't have a turnaround until they asked for forgiveness for what they had done. And as soon as they did, everything changed. God loves you. He wants to do life with you. He created you to have a relationship with you. He, that's why he created you. He loves you that much. So, so what? So, so you messed up, right? So what? You messed up. I, can, I guarantee you haven't messed up as bad as Manasseh. I guarantee you haven't messed up as bad as Saul. Not unless last night you were holding people's coats by they threw rocks at an innocent person. Maybe that's what you were doing last night. I don't know, but I doubt it. Those two messed up as bad as anybody in history. But God saw the potential in them and he loved them. All we have to do is come back to him. I think sometimes we don't speak enough about forgiveness of our sins, but most importantly, just asking for forgiveness. Repenting is something that's a lost art in America. Because after all, we're right. We're justified in what we did. We could always think of a reason why it, what we did was, was okay, right? We, we justify it. But God says, just come clean. Just come clean. Just, just ask for forgiveness. Just repent. And, and not just part way. Not, not like the people of Judah did where they, they worshiped him the way they wanted to. They just, they just turned around part way, but all the way. So as you stand with me this morning, there is no revival without repentance. There's no way we can get where we want to be in our relationship with the Lord without asking for forgiveness. 
Now, for some of you, you ask for forgiveness for everything. <laughs> you ask for forgiveness for stuff that, that you don't even need to ask for forgiveness for. You're just super quick to do it. And then there's those of us that never ask for forgiveness. We think, I want to do what I want to do. I might say I'm sorry every once in a while, but truthfully, I don't know about this forgiveness thing. I don't know about this repentance thing. And then there's those of us that want to repent, but we don't even know that there's an issue. We've come so accustomed to doing something in our life that it's become a part of our life and we don't even realize that it's sinful anymore. Wherever you are, God is waiting for your comeback. And that comeback is right in front of you. So bow with me. I pray, Holy Spirit, right now that whatever it is, that maybe we have a blind spot we don't even know that we're doing something wrong. I pray, Holy Spirit, you would reveal what that is to us. Right now, in our spirit, that you would show us what we're doing wrong. Maybe it's how we talk to people. Maybe it's that we become super critical of people, super judgy, super negative. Just ask for forgiveness for that. Maybe social media is just kind of taking over and you're watching stuff online that you shouldn't be watching. It's steering you the wrong direction. Maybe it's your thought life. It's just run amok. Just ask for forgiveness. And ask for forgiveness and follow through. Don't just say, Lord, I'm sorry for looking at that stuff on social media. Delete the app. That's the follow through. That's the repentance. Make it harder for you to mess up. Maybe it's alcohol. Maybe you've just been drinking more than you need to. It's gotten a hold of you. You didn't used to be an issue, but now it is. Maybe you're, you're drinking every night just to kind of numb the day, right? And it's, it's become an issue. it's jealousy. Maybe it's anger that's just taken over. Lord, forgive us. Just ask him right now to forgive you. Forgive us. Forgive us for our thoughts. Forgive us for our actions. Forgive us. And now, Lord, give us the strength to be able to change be a lamp into our feet that we would know what we need to do to not go back. And that may be, Lord, we, we need some help. Maybe we need some counseling. Maybe we need some accountability partners. Maybe we need to go back through deliverance again. Maybe the devil's just kind of slipped his way back into our life. And we need a little help. Show us what you'd want us to do. Show us the steps we need to take. Help us to be a repentant people. Help us to be, a, a, help us to be people that just, just ask for forgiveness and say we're sorry real quick. And help us to be a people that accept responsibility for what we've done. There's no excuses, Lord. We know we've blown it. We don't need to justify it. We're sorry. We were wrong. Forgive us. 
Now, isn't it interesting that everything changes when Jesus shows up? And sometimes it's just the mention of his name. The mention of his name gives you a new hope. The mention of his name maybe brings about healing. The mention of his name may free you from some stronghold that you've been fighting with for a long time. Just the mention of his name. Now we started today with this song and we started this whole series with worshiping our heavenly father because he's the answer. No other God before us. We're not gonna go down the road that Manasseh did. We're not gonna intermix religions with Christianity and, and, and just make our life easier as far as, far as following you, God. You're the one true God. We're only gonna follow you. We're gonna worship you. And I pray, Lord, as we get ready to worship together once again, that if you need to heal us of something, you would do it. That you need, if you need to deliver us from something, that you would do it. Lord God, you would bring about such healing and blessing in us that we would leave this place changed. Do a miracle in us as we worship you, as we mention your name, Jesus. Now, a lot of you, I know, like to worship down in our, our worship pit. I don't know what you call this, our, our little worship mosh pit, if you want to call it that. And if that's you, come on down. If you're in the choir, come on down. And let's close this series out. Speak in the name of the only God that can fix us or help us or heal us or take that weight off our shoulders. Let's say the name of Jesus. Let's just watch what he can do. We're gonna be repentant and we're gonna follow what he has for us. We're gonna seek him and the decision-making of our life. But most of all, we're gonna worship him. Sometimes that's all it takes, right? Just mention it in his name. Let's do that together. Come on. If you walked in sin, you're gonna walk out here. If you walked and bowed, you're gonna walk out free. Just the legend of his name. Just the legend of his name.
Thanks for listening to this week's message at Fellowship Church. If you have not made Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, I want to give you the opportunity to do that right now. The Bible says in the book of Romans, If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You can do that right now. I just want to encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. Please forgive me of my sins. I believe that you are Lord, that you died on the cross for my sins, and that you rose again. And God, I thank you for that. I ask you now to be my savior and to guide my life, to give me a home forever in heaven. And God, I ask you this in your precious son, Jesus Christ's name, amen. If you just prayed this prayer for the first time, we would love to celebrate with you. Please text HEAVEN to 94000 to get in contact with our staff where we can answer any questions you may have. Also, if you're in need of prayer, we would love to support you. You can submit your prayer requests by texting PRAYER SUPPORT to 94000. Our prayer team will receive your request and immediately start covering you. If this was your first time experiencing Fellowship Church, or if you want to learn more about one of our many ministries, you can text FELLOWSHIP to 94000 to connect with our staff. As always, we are still just a phone call away. You can contact us at 970-245-PRAY with any questions. Thanks again, and we hope to see you next week in person or online.